if you're reading through the reviews and you're seeing stuff like that just makes you, you know, trust your gut. Like if you're reading things and, and things just feel fishy, maybe you should look at something else. Welcome to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. Discover the best tips, tricks, and travel hacks for your visit to the nation's capital. And now, here's Rob and this episode's special guest. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. If you want to check out other podcast episodes or see the show notes from this episode, you can do that over at triphacksdc.com slash podcast. This episode is sponsored by Trip Hacks DC Tours. Spring tour season is right around the corner, which means that our seasonal monumental trivia tour is back. It's part monuments tour, part trivia game. You can learn more over at triphacksdc.com slash tours. Today I am joined by Jocelyn Walters, who is a big part of the very well-traveled Walters family, who you may know from their very popular Walters World YouTube channel. So Jocelyn, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This is uh, the first time I've had a remote guest, and I thought that you would be great for it because you are a world traveler. You've been to over 50 countries. You've been to almost all of the continents. Yeah, almost. I'm getting there. Antarctica and and Australia. That's all I got to hit so far. So one of those sounds easier to do than the other, but (laughs) one day you will get to all seven. But as a virtue of doing all of this traveling, and you are a member of the Walters World Travel Family, of course, you guys stay in accommodations of all varieties. And so in this episode, we're going to cover Airbnb, or more generally, you know, home rentals, vacation rentals, whatever term you like to describe them. And we are going to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly, um, so that people know what to expect when they travel. All right, sounds good. And I think it's worth noting before we get into uh, the juicy stuff that this is a topic that people tend to have pretty strong opinions on that I found. Yeah, you'd be amazed at how you can accidentally offend somebody just by saying do this or don't do that, right? (laughs) And uh, I made a video on the TripX DC YouTube channel about Airbnb, and I think it got more comments than any other video because people really had, um, you know, strong opinions about whether they like it, whether they don't like it how they use it. And so I think it's it's good to note that a lot of times when these topics come up, people will say like, oh, if you don't like Airbnb, you're just a shill for the hotel industry. Or <laughs> if you do like Airbnb, it's only because you want that free $40 that you get for referring your friends. And neither of us have any agenda, right? No, no agenda, except that we both want people to travel well and to use their time and money well when when they're doing the travel, right? Yes, exactly. So our only agenda is to make sure that you have a good trip. And so we're not going to sugarcoat anything in this podcast. We're going to tell it like it is. That's it. Walter's World never sugarcoats anything. <laughs> Which is one of the things I like about it a lot. Thanks. So let's start with the good. So I, th- I think the best thing about using an Airbnb is that, um, you know, it's a more unique type of accommodation. And so... What kind of accommodations have you guys stayed in in the various places you visited that have been a little bit more unique than your standard hotel room? Well, yeah, as soon as you get out of the the hotel room thing, it becomes unique, right? Um, I really love staying in homes because we get the feeling that we're living in a place. Um, You get to experience a little more localisms, you know, by being maybe more in a neighborhood than a hotel is. You know, often if you go somewhere, there's just like this row of hotels, And that gives you a certain feeling. But if you're off a few blocks and you're in an apartment or a house, 
then you get you get to feel like you actually belong in that place and i feel like you get more in touch with um that location and a lot of times it's more spacious as well i know that that's one of the things that you've mentioned in a few of your videos is that if you're yeah. going to be a, in a place for a little while you know if you're taking a week trip or more you might want a little you know those few extra square feet might make a big difference Makes a huge difference, especially in a place like, say, Paris, where hotel rooms are minuscule. Um, it's really nice to get an apartment. It's also great because you know that we often are traveling with our kids, and we need a little more downtime sometimes than maybe the typical traveler. Um, so it's great to have a place where they can just veg out for a little bit and like decompress from you know, running around a city all day. Um, they get to have a little quiet time. It's also nice because like we get to do the normal things that we do at home in a, in a home setting. So we, we really like that a lot too. It's funny that you mentioned Paris because the last time I visited Paris, we stayed in a hotel and it was funny because the bathroom door actually couldn't open all the way. If you tried (laughs) to open it, it would bump into the bed. That's how small the room was. I've had one where it bumped into the toilet because it opened into the bathroom and it tapped the toilet. So if you happen to be in there and like one of the kids didn't know or whatever, you would get your knees crushed if you were sitting on the toilet. So um, yeah, Paris has got some really tiny hotel rooms. And if you get a larger one, you're going to pay through the nose. So Paris is definitely a place we always do some kind of home rental. I mean, we have stayed in hotels there, but generally speaking, we do everything we can not to. Yeah, that's the nice thing about the U.S., I suppose, is that unlike some of the European cities, we like things big in the U.S. And so it's very, very rare you're going to find a hotel anywhere in the U.S. where the door can't actually open because we, <laughs> we like our space. So it's unlikely that you're going to find that here. So true. So when you stay in Paris, you stay in a neighborhood that's outside of the central city. And so I guess that can be an advantage, too, if that's what you're looking for. So what's it like to stay in a neighborhood and sort of away from the central core? Well, the the drawback to it is that I have to either take, you know, public transportation or taxis. And we all know that if you've been to Paris, the, the metro system is incredible. You're always within like, I think it's 500 meters of um, a, a metro stop. So it's easy to get to things, but um, you do have to, you have to do that. It's not just like right outside your door. Um, but th- the thing is like, we always stay in this one neighborhood right off Rue de Abbes in um, Montmartre. And by the way, my French is really bad. So my pronunciation is pitiful. So is um, mine. <laughs> good. That makes me feel better. Um, but we've been going there and staying in that neighborhood for gosh, more than a decade. And though there's a lot of tourism, people live there. So we have our favorite place that we get our baguettes. We have a favorite little um, grocery store. I get my hair cut there. Like every year I go and I get my hair cut. I have a guy in Paris. It sounds so pretentious, but it's just part of our, it's part of our home, if you will, because, you know, we get to be in that neighborhood. We've met locals, um, that see us, you know, year after year and they remember us and it feels really good. So in DC, not every neighborhood has hotels. Actually, a lot of the neighborhoods where regular people actually live 
don't necessarily have hotels. And so a good example of this is Capitol Hill, which is a very historic, very famous neighborhood. It's got the classic DC row houses. And so if you wanted to stay close to all the sites, but you also wanted to be in a neighborhood where real people actually live, then that's often a spot where people will seek out because they can do that. So when you stay in Paris, I'm curious, um, you said you go to the grocery store, which I guess means that you cook in your apartment or your rental? Absolutely. So because we're traveling all the time and we're a family of four that, you know, it gets expensive. So to cut back on some of those expenses, we often will have a meal or two every day in the apartment. Often we have breakfast um, in the apartment. So, you know, like I just run down, like as soon as we get there, I run down to the store and I'll get like eggs and butter and milk and cheese. And, you know, we just have we have breakfast cereal, of course, for the kids because they love cereal. Um, so we'll have breakfast there and we'll go out and we'll have lunch and we may have dinner out, but we might just come home. If the kids are exhausted, we might just come home and cook dinner. Um, and I love that because it's something that everyone does everywhere in the world, but I get to experience the way they do it with their products, um, which are completely different than running down to the Kroger, you know, and picking up ribeyes or something. It's a, it's a completely different experience. Um, so, and often what I love is if you stay in a well-appointed place, they'll have cookbooks like local cookbooks. So I have to occasionally, um, translate some things on Google translate when I'm trying to figure out the, you know, the directions and stuff, but it's great. So that's really interesting, and I think it's important for people to really be honest with their, themselves when they travel to know whether this is something that they want to do, because I think in theory you hear, oh, cooking, saving all this money, it's going to be great. When I travel, I don't travel nearly as much as you, and so when I go on vacation, it is my vacation, and to me, cooking is a chore. It's what I do every day after I get home from work, and it's not something that I want to do when I'm out <laughs> having fun. So this is a situation where can you save money by doing it? Yes, absolutely. You're the perfect example of that, um, and because you're on the road so much, it makes sense, and it's part of your experience. I think that's the key thing. You know, If I was traveling to another city and just going down to the CVS and buying Kraft mac and cheese <laughs> and heating that up <laughs> in the microwave, eh, that's a little bit different experience than using a French cookbook to make something uh, with a local baguette. So that's really cool that you do that. Yeah, we enjoy it. Um, but I also love to cook. I mean, look at Mark. He, he's gained 100 pounds since we've been married. I enjoy cooking. So for me, that's that's like a big cultural thing too. So yeah. So what else do you look for in an Airbnb or a rental when you're looking at what's available. You know, the, the kitchen is obviously a, uh, important, making sure that it's got facilities, making sure that it's got enough square footage to let the kids go veg out. What are some of the other things that you look for when you're browsing? Um, I, I always try to look for a washer. It doesn't necessarily have to have a dryer. I'm used to hanging clothes. I mean, we lived in Europe. We didn't have a dryer. It's, it's actually not all that common to have a dryer for a lot of people in different places. Um, but I definitely want to be able to wash my clothes. That's a big thing. Um, something else that I have, I have learned through a bad experience to look for um, towels and sheets. I, I don't think I've ever gone anywhere where there weren't sheets, but I have gone and there weren't towels. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like that to me, that that's just an obvious, but uh, there was one time we didn't have any. So that was something I now pay attention that, that's in the list of things, you know, that, that come with the apartment, um, and pots and pans, because again, I'm cooking there, uh, and not everybody 
cares for that, but I do. And then um, I always pack my own shampoo and conditioner and soap and all that and little reusable things. Um, but it's really nice if, especially if we're on like a really long trip, it's nice if they have like a big set already there and we can just use some of that so that I can um, keep, you know, kind of reserve some of my stuff and be frugal about what I'm using so I can make it last for a long time. So those are things people don't always necessarily think to look for um, when they're looking at an Airbnb or a VRBO. No, that's absolutely right because that's not something I would have even thought of because things like shampoo, towels, when you stay at a hotel, those, those are a given. And if they're not in the room when you show up, you go down to the front desk and you say, hey, you forgot my shampoo, and they'll give you a few of those small bottles. But with an Airbnb, the host might not even live in the same neighborhood or even in the same city. So if you don't have it, you're kind of on your own. I've heard some stories of people not having toilet paper in their Airbnb because it ran out and nobody replaced it, so they had to go supply it on their own. I actually, now that you say that, I have had to buy toilet paper once or twice too. I, they always, I've always had some, like in maybe one backup role, but if you're there for, and there's four of us and you're there for like, you know, a week, seven or eight days, something like that, we're going to go through more than two rolls of toilet paper. And quite frankly, this is gross, but when you're eating different foods and whatever, you never know whose tummy is going to get upset and be on the toilet a lot. So that's something that you should definitely check into. I mean, that's just the reality of traveling. It may be gross, but people need to know about it. And it's <laughs> definitely. I've, I read an article in one of the travel magazines that it's not even different foods. It's just when you're on the road, your body is just in a different state of being. And so stuff can happen and you just got to be prepared for it. Absolutely. Never leave home without the emodium. <laughs> so one, one, thing, one thing that people uh, often say is, oh, I like Airbnb because it's cheaper than a hotel. And I think it used to be, but I've done some testing recently uh, and I haven't always found that to be the case. So in your experience, do you find it to always, often, sometimes, or never be cheaper than a hotel? Definitely sometimes. And you're right. I think that the the prices on Airbnbs are changing because I think the market got so saturated. People are like, I can charge whatever I want. Somebody's going to rent it. Um, and yeah, the, the prices have definitely gone up. Um, for us, it, especially like in Europe and Central and South America, because there are four of us and our, our oldest son is 13, he's now counted as an adult. So uh, we have to get two rooms very often. And so even if the Airbnb is on the higher side, generally speaking, it's going to be less for us than renting two rooms somewhere. So I, I have to take that into consideration. And that's us personally. It's not that way for everyone. But I definitely think that the prices of Airbnbs have, have gone up. Yeah, I think the... Where it makes the most financial sense is a situation where it's either one apartment or two hotel rooms, because two hotel rooms are almost always going to cost more than one apartment. Now, in D.C., uh, you're ne you're almost never going to find a hotel that can't accommodate less than four adults, as long as you're booking a regular rate through the hotel directly. They're always going to be able to accommodate at least four adults. Now, having four adults or you know two adults and two older kids in a single room might be a little claustrophobic, but it's not like you're going to be required to get the second room unless you you have the fifth person or more. Right, and you know, in in the hotel, you're only going to ever have. Well, I mean, you can get a suite. But um, then your price goes up astronomically anyway. But if you're getting like one of those double rooms where two queen beds, you're still only going to have one bathroom. And if you have four adults, that's a lot of commonality you might not want to share with people. Um, so sometimes when, especially in the U.S., you can find 
places with at least two bathrooms. And often in Europe, I will look and, and it's a small number, but I can, I can usually find an apartment with one bathroom, like one full bathroom and then a water closet where it's just a toilet and a tiny little sink or something. And that's kind of nice when you've got poor people again. Yeah, definitely be careful in D.C. with that because we're an expensive city and a lot of apartments actually don't have two bathrooms. And so uh, if if it's especially if it's like um, the basement apartment in a row house, it's very unlikely that it's going to have two bathrooms, even if they were able to squeeze two bedrooms into there. So that's something that you should definitely check and that confirm is good to know. if you need to have two bathrooms. So that kind of uh, is a nice segue into – the next section of our discussion, which is the bad of <laughs> using Airbnb. Uh, the, the thing that comes to mind when I think of the bad is just the inconsistent quality. And what I mean by that is when you stay in a Hampton Inn, it doesn't matter if this Hampton Inn is in Washington, D.C., Omaha, Nebraska, Orlando, Florida. It doesn't matter if it's in the city, out near the airport. You pretty much know what you're going to get when you walk in the lobby. And so there's some comfort in knowing that. But with an Airbnb, it could be anything. Um, yeah, you could walk in. It could be an absolute dump. I mean, it could be filthy. And you know that if if you walk into um, a hotel room, there are general guidelines. You know you're going to have two beds and there's going to be a window over here. And, you know, I mean, they're, they're always the same, right? And if it's not clean, you just call the front desk and they come and clean it. And and it takes 15, 20 minutes and, and you know, you're done. Um, when you walk into a home rental, whether it's Airbnb or VRBO, uh, if it's not clean, you may not have any recourse. They may not do anything for you. So there's definitely, yeah, inconsistency in what you're getting, which can be cool because you get something very different. But if it's if it's bad, it's bad. <laughs> yeah, I actually met a travel agent recently and you know, we were just talking about the industry and this topic came up and they said, you know, sometimes our clients ask us to put them in an Airbnb or a VRBO. And it, it's such a nightmare But when they ask that because we can't vet any individual place before they get there, you know. And so we're totally going in blind and we have no idea if it's going to be something that they're going to like. And we don't want to be on the hook if they have a terrible experience or they show up in the places a dump, like you said. And so it turns out that Travel agents really hate uh, putting their clients in them. And so this is more something that I guess if you're more of an adventurous traveler uh, and you're willing to take that gamble that you might be into. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I can see how that would be a really awful thing, you know, and and they would be the ones that would get the bad rating that, you know, and not necessarily the Airbnb or something. Um, I have to say that personally, especially in the States, I really like VRBO or as they call themselves Verbo. Um, because those tend to be set up as vacation rentals, you know, with purpose. And so they, I find a lot more consistency with that. Whereas Airbnb, it might just be like some random dude who's like, I'm gone for the weekend. I'm going to let my apartment, you know? Um, so the VRBO is a little bit more standard. I mean, at least for what you're getting, it may not be the same thing every time, but I find that they have cleaners and things like that set up. 
so people might be listening to this and they might be thinking, well, what are you guys talking about? You know, every Airbnb, every VRBO, they have photos that you can look at. They have reviews <laughs> that you can read. And I, and I want to cover both of these separately because I think they're both important. But to, just to start with the photos, you know, hotels have photos as well on their website, on TripAdvisor, on all the, the websites. And I never look at them. I always skip them. And I go straight to the traveler submitted photos. That's it. When I look at those, I know whether the place is as advertised on their own website or whether it's completely different. And so is this an option when you're using these home rental websites? Um, usually they're uh, not always, um, but usually you can find things that actual guests have put up. And those are absolutely the ones that you want to look through um, because they're unfiltered um, and undoctored and it tells you what's really there. So I, I absolutely agree with you. Yeah, a skilled photographer with a license for Photoshop can make any place <laughs> look absolutely amazing. Um, now, I, I haven't stayed in, in too many uh, of these rentals because I don't travel nearly as much as you. But one of the places where I did stay, it absolutely did not look like the photos. And when I look back on it after the trip, I realized that the photos were taken at very specific angles to make the place, you know, look good, to cut out the corner that was dirty, to cut out the water damage on the wall. And they were... (laughs) And they were all brightened up. And that's the key thing is that the place was actually really dark. But because this person used Photoshop to brighten up the photos, when you looked at it online, it looked really bright. And so it was, in my opinion, quite misleading. Yeah. TV magic, right? So, <laughs> yeah. If if there are user-submitted photos, always go with those. And even if they're taken on an iPhone or they're not the best quality, you can at least, you know, you know that and you know that you can judge it that way. Whereas with a professional photo, it could be anything. Yep. I totally agree with you. So reviews, this is the other one that I feel people get tripped up by because they say, well, people leave reviews and this place has all perfect five-star reviews, so it must be great. And I know that that's not always the case, and I think you have some stories about that. We absolutely have. Um, I want to start by saying that Airbnb has sort of changed their the way they do reviews. It used to be that... Um, If you left a bad review, then the person that you were renting from could leave you a bad review. So there was, you know, there was some malice in it often. Um, So you couldn't necessarily be really honest. Um, And they've sort of done it now where each of you has to write a review before anything gets posted. So that's making it a little bit more honest. Um, But there was one that we stayed um, in, in Connecticut and the review said that Every single one mentioned that the people were very, um, I forget the word that was always used, but basically that they were very attentive and attentive turned out to be code for spying on you. (laughs) And, um, because they, they were literally looking in the windows and, um, that was a horrible, horrible experience. And I, I, I left them a review that was rather scathing. I mean, when I, I guess that's one of the things you expect when you rent a place is that um, you have your privacy, right? And after that one, I was like, man, every place I'm going to rent, I'm going to start looking for like cameras or something. It was it had me a little paranoid because they were just that awful. So you have to learn to read between the lines in those reviews. And if something's mentioned often, stop and just think to yourself, is this is this trying to tell me something other than, you know, they're just really around a lot you know yeah so reading in between the lines is really key and so don't just skim don't just look at the the star ratings because 
people often will just, you know, kind of like with Uber, they just leave five star no matter what. Even if they were like nearly in a wreck, they'll still leave four stars or something like that. And so you can't really trust them necessarily. But if you do read, you can really pull out some nuggets sometimes that (laughs) even if the stars are perfect, it's worth knowing about. Yeah, I definitely read um, a few of everything because sometimes people leave a one star review in in a place because um, they didn't have an espresso machine. They only had like a, a regular coffee maker or they had a percolator and nobody knew how to use it. And that may be like something that's really stuck in someone's craw and they they have to complain about it and give somebody a bad rating. But to you, that may not make a difference. So read a few of like all the different, you know, read the gamut of them. You don't have to read every review, but read a few five stars, read a few one stars, read a few in the middle, and that'll give you a better understanding of, you know, just what this place is like. Yeah, I always tell people when it comes to hotels to – when you see a one-star review, if the only complaint is that the parking was a ripoff and you don't plan to park a car, you can safely ignore that one, right? Absolutely. Because in D.C. and frankly, in most big cities in the U.S., a hotel will charge you $50 or more to park. That's just how it is. And if you don't like it, you can find an alternative parking lot. I've got an entire video about alternative parking lots. But to to give it a one-star review because that you know, you didn't like the price they charge for parking. That's something that most people might not even care about, especially if they're not bringing a car. So, you know, you can read things and decide whether the person's complaints are valid, whether what the things that they're happy about are things you care about too. Absolutely. So one thing that you might be able to pull out of the reviews as well is some nuggets about the location. And one thing that's a little tricky about using an Airbnb is that hotels tend to be, like you said earlier, clustered together. And so they're generally in areas that are on the tourist beaten path. And so you don't have to worry too much about is this a good or a bad area because it's just where all the tourists stay anyway. With a home rental, it could be anywhere. And you have (laughs) to do that extra research to determine whether that anywhere is a place where you would be comfortable staying. Um, it's actually easier uh, once you once you've done it once or twice. You you figure out how. Um, I get on Google and I'll just like you can look up crime statistics and you can narrow it down within a city and you can see areas where crimes are high and you can even see um, what types of crimes you know. Like maybe it's just like little petty things um, and and maybe it's really awful. So that's where you know you don't want to stay, right? Yeah, and even those can be tough to uh, navigate if you're from out of town because in D.C., if you look at that map, you'll say, like, well, hold on, all the um, all the highest crimes are in the areas around metro stations, right? Well, the reason is because those are just the areas with the most people, so it's just like a density map, right? And when you come here, you'll say, actually, it feels very safe in all of those areas. It feels very safe near the Foggy Bottom Metro or the gallery, uh, the Metro Center Station. And so it's tough to, to tease out, especially if it's your first time in a place. Now, if you're going back to a place for the second or the third time, it's probably a lot easier. You guys have been to Paris you know, every year for a while, and so you probably have a sense of where uh, you do and don't want to stay. You do. And you know what? And the But the other thing is those areas sometimes change, you know, over time. I mean, where we used to stay in Paris, um, it, it's gotten a lot more tourists. In the last two years, I bet the number of people I see there um, that are not local has doubled. And I'm, it kind of makes me sad because it, it was like my own little special spot, you know, um, on that particular street. Um, so yeah, things definitely change too. So you have to keep that in mind. Just because you've been there doesn't mean that five years down the road, it's not going to be a very different neighborhood. 
Yeah, great point. This this brings up the topic of over-tourism, which it needs to be its own podcast episode because it's an important topic, but one that uh, we don't really have time to cover today. But th- but that's a great point. And you know, when people ask me uh, about Airbnb, it's it's tricky because you know I um, have this map that has 11 areas of the city where where I would recommend staying and people will contact me every once in a while and say, well, I found this place and it's outside one of those areas. And and my advice is like, it could be perfectly fine for you, or it might not be perfectly fine for you. Now, everybody's perceptions are a little bit differently. Uh, Everyone's perceptions are a little bit different. And so, you know, what's perfectly fine for one person might not feel perfectly fine for another person. Someone from a big city might feel safer in an area versus someone from the country. It's just, you know, everybody's a little different. And so it's it's tough to make these recommendations. It really is. And often that's why Mark and I don't make recommendations because we have a very different worldview um, when it comes to, not worldview, but just a, a different viewpoint when it comes to where we stay. Um, yes, we're staying with our kids, but we, you know, our, our oldest just went to his 50th country um, last week. So when your kids are really, really aware, that's it. It makes it different, you know, for us and uh, compared to somebody who has maybe never been out of the country, or you know, I mean, just is not that experience. Like you said, big cities versus small town, that kind of thing. It definitely makes a difference. Yeah, I've noticed that. I have had customers from all over the world. Now, most people who come to DC are from the U.S., and it's really interesting. Someone from a really big city might come and say, everything closes early. I can't believe this place feels like a small podunk town. And then someone will come from a small town and they'll say, this is my first time ever in the big city and I'm completely overwhelmed. And so again, just your perceptions and what you're used to and where you're coming from. Yep. One thing I want to note about when you're looking at a listing is to be very careful around here when they're advertising the distance from the metro, specifically when they're advertising it in time. Because if it says oh, this place is five minutes from the metro. What I always want to know is, well, five minutes by what? By foot? By car? By, <laughs> by you know, bike, yeah. Because if it's five minutes by car and they don't have a car and the metro station doesn't have a parking lot, that number is pretty meaningless, right? And I've actually unfortunately had some of my customers who have been had by this closeness to metro claim on an Airbnb listing and they said, uh, no, we're not as close as they said we were and we don't like the area where we're staying. So you got to be really careful with that. I, I agree. I have I have actually seen that several times because I may know a city and I'm looking and I'm like, that's not right. You know, I, I know where I'm looking for and, and that's, that's just not happening, you know. So um, it is, you can look up though, like things like bus stops in certain places. So it may you know, you may be able to to just pull up like Rome bus stops, whatever, and see where they are in relation to where you're looking at staying. So that, you know, you can, you, but that takes a lot of work. I mean, that's, that's a lot of detail. Um, but if you've never done it, it's probably an important detail. Yeah. So what I always advise people is if you're willing to do this work, then do the work. And if you're not willing to do the work, then here's 11 areas I've got perfectly <laughs> mapped out for you. 11. That's a lot. That's a lot of choices. So hopefully it you really can find is. something there that, that can work for you. Um, so that's my advice on that. But that kind of leads us into our last category of this discussion, which is the ugly. And so we've, we've covered the good, the bad. And these are some of the things that just are probably not going to affect the vast majority of people, but they're worth knowing about because if you know about them in advance, then you can avoid a situation where you are in a bad place. 
Yeah, um, yeah, knowledge is power, right? And um, it is good to know about the ugly things because yeah, hopefully I don't want anybody to have to go through some of the things we've been through, definitely. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I have a YouTube channel, as do you, and so I watch a lot of travel vlogs and, and such. And one thing that I always find terrifying is, uh, and it's amazing because the people always handle it with such grace, is when they show up to their Airbnb and the code for the lockbox doesn't work. And they call the host, and the host isn't answering the phone. And they can't get into the place. They can't get a hold of anybody. And this has – I've seen this happen more than a few times. And to me, that is absolutely terrifying, especially if you're traveling with a family. I mean, can you imagine you've just traveled across the country or across the world? You show up to the place where you're supposed to stay, and you can't get in the door? Well, you know what? That's happened to us. Um, so what happened? We- <laughs> Um, well, I didn't handle it with grace. (laughs) I'm like freaking out. I'm standing in the cold and I'm like, got my kids. We've got, you know, two, three, three little carry on suitcases. And I'm like, Mark, I'm gonna kill a man, you know, like I'm really not happy. So Mark, um, will get on. First of all, it is important to handle with grace. Have your freak out moment. That's okay. But when you start calling people, be in a good frame of mind. And you know, you always, you catch more flies with honey, right? So start calling all the numbers, start emailing, start texting, do everything you possibly can. Um, Have more than one number for the place that you're going to. You can always contact people uh, before you go and get a second number in case something should happen. And generally speaking, they're really cool about that. I don't actually think anyone has ever said that they wouldn't give me another number. Um, so you just, just have, give yourself some other options. And if it comes down to it, if you're, if you're there for a while and they're not coming, I would, you, this is where I don't like Airbnb because Airbnb doesn't give you a lot of recourse. If you're renting through VRBO, you can contact VRBO or, or, you know, they're home away. They're different groups and they, you can say, Hey, I'm here. I've been here for an hour. No one's, I'm not able to get in. No one's answering. I'm canceling like right now. I'm done. I'm not dealing with this. And they can, you know, there may be parameters for different, depending on who you've rented through. Um, You know, you may have to wait three hours or or an hour and a half or whatever. But we we have ended up going to a coffee shop, um, a restaurant, and it it really stinks when you first get, like if if you're coming from the U.S. to Europe and you get to Europe and you're exhausted you know, and everybody's cranky, that's hard, but you know, just go feed the children, have wine. It doesn't matter that it's eight o'clock in the morning. You might need it, you know, um, do what you need to do. Um, and then eventually we've always gotten in, thank God. But, um, if you don't get in, that's where, that's where Airbnb is a little frustrating for me, particularly because there's nobody else I can contact other than the host. And it it is a little bit scary to me to hear that this has happened to you because <laughs> because now I've seen it happen, you know, on video and hear about it from you. So it it definitely happens. It's not like it never happens. It, it happens now. It you might be might be ninety nine out of a hundred is fine, but the one time, if you're the one, you don't want to be the one. Well, we've been the one twice. But when you think about how often we travel, I mean we we travel almost every month. Um, so, and, and we don't always rent a hotel, but let's say we rent, or I mean, a a home, um, if we rent six a year in five years, you know, that's, that's what 30 and twice we've been hit like that. So 
I don't know what that percentage is. I'm not that good at math, but you know, figure that out. That's what it is. Another potential ugly situation is what I call the host initiated cancellation. And this can kind of occur for, I think, one of two reasons. So the first reason is that the host, you know, accepted your booking, you're booked in with them, and they didn't realize that it was during a really busy time of the year. So imagine someone renting a place in Miami the weekend of the Super Bowl, and you got in really early and booked it for $100. Uh, and then it gets closer to the date, and they realize what they've done. Someone's offering them, you know, $1,000 cash for the place for Super Bowl weekend. Well, they're going to cancel on you. I mean, they're just, at the end of the day, they might get penalized by Airbnb, but hey, that, that cash is worth it to them. So that can happen. And I've heard of that happening when someone got a great deal and they thought, wow, how lucky am I? I got a great deal on this place during, you know, the Fringe Festival weekend or Super Bowl weekend or whatever it is. And then a week before their trip, sorry, uh, you don't have a place to stay. And the other reason why this can happen is because of what I call an illegal rental. Now, it's important to note, this is not illegal in necessarily the eyes of the law or the court, but a lot of places in DC are apartments. And when you rent an apartment, you sign a lease and your lease says you're not allowed to do this. Or you're in a condo building and your condo bylaws say you're not allowed to do this. And guess what? People do it. A lot of people do <laughs> they it. They do it anyway. Yeah. I live the last apartment I lived in, it was amazing. Uh, this lease had an entire section about this. It had the word Airbnb, VRBO, home away. Every single website that you can imagine was in there right. by name. And it said, <laughs> if you do this, you're in, in breach of the in lease. Violation. And, and yeah. guess what? Immediately people did it. And so what happens is, you know, imagine that you're renting a place and the person who came in right before you threw some rager and ticked off all the neighbors and they all complained to the landlord and the landlord found out that this was the cause. Well, the landlord might say, you're done, shut it down. And then anyone who was booked in the future, they're not going to get to stay there. So has this ever happened to you, either of these situations? So the first one has. I've never had I've never had any experience with an illegal Airbnb or any kind of rental. Um, uh, we have had something canceled on us actually twice. And um, I don't know why, because it wasn't a particularly big thing happening or whatever. I don't know. Maybe the person's plans just changed. Uh, but they, in both instances, I knew like 10 or 12 days out at least. So I was able to book something else. Um, but it's a little frightening. And fortunately, because I have as much experience as I do with booking and and knowing the cities I'm going to, uh, it made it a little easier. But I can see that like if if you don't do this a lot, that would freak me out. I would be really upset. Um, so just know that when you book it, you just have that in the back of your mind. Like it's not a bad idea to have a backup, you know, like not that you have to book two places, but just like, hey, if something happens, is there a hotel I'm willing to go to or, you know, whatever in, in that same area? Yeah, I think the thing that really upsets people when this happens is that they might have a backup plan, but the backup plan might increase the cost of their, well, it might increase the cost of their trip substantially. So imagine that you had booked a place for $100 a night and you find out 10 days before the trip that it's no more. And then you go on all the hotel websites and the you know best option is $200 a night. Now that has now just doubled your cost of accommodation uh, for no fault of your own. And so it's that's where I think people get really freaked out because when you go on a trip, this might be your only vacation. You might have saved up for it for an entire year and budgeted 
down to the penny and then this happens. And the other reason I think that people don't necessarily think about this if they're not experienced is that when you book one of these places, and I'm not sure about Verbo, as you called it, but on Airbnb, as soon as you click the book button, they take your money. You pay up front. <laughs> you pay up front. And yes. they send you, which is unlike a hotel where you can choose to pay up front or pay when you arrive. And they send you a confirmation email and it's got a confirmation number and it looks super official. And you think, oh, this is it. You know, it's got to be valid. It's got to be Good, binding right. when it's really not. So yeah, always having that backup in the back of your head in case of a worst case scenario is definitely a tip that I try to pass along. It's it's a tip, but like you said, it could it can really throw you. So, um, you know, that and I guess that's the gamble you take when you decide to book through through specifically Airbnb, but I mean anyone I guess could really back out of something, you know. Um, so yeah, you just you just have to be careful. And and also, I think that if you're reading through the reviews and you're seeing stuff like that just makes you, you know, trust your gut. Like if you're reading things and, and things just feel fishy or, you know, people are like, well, it's okay, but it's not amazing. And, and there wasn't this. And it was just, if it's like really inconsistent, maybe you should look at something else, you know, go, go to it. Also, you know, they have super house now. Super hosts tend to be a little more vetted. And so that's something, you know, you might want to just particularly look at that, you know, that one category of host, because um, that might save you a little bit of that too. Yeah, I know Airbnb's gotten a lot of heat lately because of these unvetted hosts. There was a big article, I think either in, in Vice or BuzzFeed, about some huge nationwide scam. And it was basically because none of these folks were vetted and they don't check to make sure that these are legal or okay with the landlord or okay with the HOA. They don't do any of that. They just trust that the host has clicked a button that says, I agree, I'm following all the rules, and that's the end of it. And so, um, you know, the other thing was you mentioned red flags. There are some red flags to look out for. If they tell you not to talk to the front desk, that's a red flag. Oh, yeah. If they tell you not to speak to the neighbors, (laughs) that's a red flag. Uh, There was an article about um, uh, a building in Canada where, like, the building manager said he spends almost his entire time just like looking on all these websites to find the illegal rentals and shutting them down. And, you know, they quoted one of the people who was staying in an illegal unit in that building. And he was like, yeah, the host told me to, um, you know, say I was visiting my cousin who lives here when somebody asks. And so or if they have you go to like a weird door instead of the front door, probably not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know. I personally you know, some people might be okay with this and they might say, hey, look, it's not my problem. If somebody wants to violate their lease and rent this place to me, that's their problem. That's not my business. But I don't know. I would just feel so uncomfortable. And I actually did stay at an Airbnb once that I'm pretty sure was illegal. And I'm pretty sure that the building was meant for low-income residents of the city. And I just felt awful uh, being a tourist and taking away an apartment that I knew was supposed to go to someone who needed it. And so it just was yeah. an uncomfortable week. Uh, I, I guess it was like three days, but it was just an uncomfortable three days. And I felt like, you know, I would rather have just stayed at a hotel and just not had to deal with this, had the peace of mind. You know, you said that like you can think that it's not really your problem if they're doing something illegal. But listen, if if it is an illegal Air- Airbnb, like illegal tor- for their lease or whatever, you're a lot more likely to get kicked out of that than you are one that's okay, right? So it it actually is kind of your problem. Um, And I don't even know how you deal with that going in and and feeling like you're taking someone else's space. Like that's, 
that's awful. I hate that you had to go through that. That really super sucks. Yeah. And, but you know, I also, uh, of them a state of mind where that kind of thing bothers me. And I'm sure there's lots of people who that doesn't bother them or, or they don't know, you know, they're, they're not aware of that. Uh, I'm sort of hyper aware because I work in the industry, but yeah. So in DC, look for all those red flags. If they tell you not to go to the front desk or lie about who you're visiting, that that's obviously one to avoid. But in my uh, general review of the Airbnbs that I've done in DC, the ones that are the most likely to be legit are sort of the basement apartments. And so what that means is that someone owns a row house and uh, they own the whole thing and the they live upstairs and then there's an apartment on the bottom in the basement level. And those are most likely to be completely legit because they own it and they live there and nothing – there's no HOA. Nothing is uh, potentially going to stop them. Of course, the thing is you're going to be staying in a basement and – I've lived in a basement in D.C. and, you know, it, it's a perfectly good way to start your career when you're young. But if you're on vacation, it, you kind of have to decide if that's for you or not, right? Right. Maybe you don't want to stay in a cave um, because I, too, lived in one of those basement apartments, um, but in Savannah. And, yeah, there's like one window in front and one window in back and there's walls between. So you don't have a lot of light and it's, it's kind of dark and a little bit creepy. Um, but yeah, I and maybe you don't care because sometimes we're going to a place and it's like I just need a clean place to lay my head at night and take a shower in the morning and then I'm out. Um, so sometimes that doesn't matter, but sometimes that would really matter to me. Yeah, exactly. Um, some people tell me that they don't care about the you know amenities or anything like that because they're only going to be there for eight hours to sleep and then the rest of the time they're going to be out exploring. And I think it just depends on who you are and what type of trip you're doing. So if you're doing a weekend trip where you're just trying to jam in as much as possible, then that could be perfectly acceptable. If you're doing a 10-day long trip where you're trying to do some relaxing, you're trying to do some sightseeing, then that might not be a good option. So it just depends entirely on the circumstances. Can I just say, um, you know, we talked about red flags. There are also green flags. Um, oh, so of course, when you, yeah. Yeah, when you book, if the person is really solicitous of like, you know, what time does your flight get in? Um, can, you know, can you tell me how long you think it's going to, you know, take you to do X, Y, and Z? And what, you know, if they're, if they're trying to do that, or they're trying to, if they send you like a big list of, here's some really great places nearby. I've had people, they're like, okay, this is the best grocery store nearby. Here's, here's a really great wine bar. Here's, you know, a restaurant. I know that you guys have kids. So there's this children's museum and it's a little bit of a distance, but it's really worth going to, you know, when they do those things, those, you book those right away. Um, so like if, and if they, you know, usually you see that list before you do the booking, but that's, that's definitely like a go ahead for me. That's a, that's a very good tip. I wouldn't have known about that because I don't use these very often. So thank you for that. And before we wrap up, I just want to ask you about your decision process and how you decide whether to stay at an Airbnb or a VRBO, because I know you said you don't. And I know when you came to DC last time you stayed in a hotel. And so what made you decide when you came to DC the last time to pick a hotel versus uh, an apartment and What's your general process for making that decision? So specifically with DC, there just weren't a lot of Airbnbs available that we were willing to pay the price for. Um, and, you know, like like we were talking about earlier, the U.S. hotels, there's, you know, two, two queen beds. So that's fine for our family of four. We're good for that. And we were just in the city for a couple of days and we were out at my cousin's um, in Nova for for the the, lar the larger part of our trip. But 
Um, so that, that, um, that's a big factor is it like part of it is just like how long we're going to stay. And there aren't very many apartment and home rentals that'll let you stay for one or two nights. Often they have like a three night minimum. So that factors into it, but there just weren't a lot at our price range in the area we wanted to be. And, you know, sometimes I don't mind staying way out, but in DC, I just didn't want to deal with that. I know what the traffic's like around the city and I that I was not willing to do that. So, you know, we had a limited amount of time. So time spent on a Metro or whatever wasn't, wasn't in the, in the books for me. Yeah. And especially for those short trips, one thing that we didn't discuss, I think, I guess I would put this in the bad category is the check-in and check-out process, right? So at a hotel, if, if you show up at 10 in the morning, you can drop your bags. They might have your room ready already. Whereas if you show up at an Airbnb at 10 and the last, and the, the person who's there isn't leaving until three o'clock, well, you can't put your bags in there. You can't check in. You can't do anything until they're gone. And the same with the checkout. You know, they might say, Hey, the next person's coming in at one. I need you out at noon. And you can't, there's nothing you can do about that. At least at a hotel, you can request a late checkout or leave the bags with the, the concierge. Right. I mean, you just got to, you have to decide whether or not that's within your parameters, you know, um, that's definitely something to, to take into consideration. I have had places that have allowed us to have a late checkout, but I have, you have to ask those things well in advance, you know, if you need to get in early or leave late and they're generally speaking, they're pretty good about telling you that. Um, and if they're not, if they, if they just kind of don't, there's another red flag, right? Yeah. And, you know, it it just depends on your travel schedule. You know, as, like you said earlier, when Americans travel to Europe, we always get there at seven in the morning because that's when all the flights <laughs> yeah. arrive. And it's really inconvenient. But even for Americans traveling, you know, they might pick the first or last flight of the day because there's a great deal because those are the ones that people don't want to take. And so you're showing up really early or really late. And you, you need to know whether you can do a later and early check in and check out. And, you know, on that note, we have, um, when we've had those like crazy ones where we're getting in at like six o'clock in the morning, because you know what we saved like a thousand dollars. Um, I will look at that. Like how much did I save? How much is it, is it going to cost me to get that place one night before? So I may rent it the night before so that I'm guaranteed that when I get there at six, that I can get in, you know, if it has like the an external thing where there's like a key box or a code or whatever. Um, and that's something you have to look forward to. But I, it, if it's only like 150 bucks, then I'm still saving, you know, 850, right? So I take that into consideration too. So every situation is different and you got to do the math on every single one. Oh yeah, there's a lot of math and I really hate math. <laughs> but you're good at it because you're the you're the one who's making these decisions. I do it all the time, Yes. So, Jocelyn, I want to say thank you for coming onto the podcast and sharing all your advice and knowledge and experience using Airbnb and with accommodations. And you have the Walter's World YouTube channel that I mentioned earlier. We do. And you're also, if I understand correctly, (laughs) starting a podcast. Yep, we've been talking about it. Um, And you know what Mark has already said? He's like, I really want Rob to be on this. So when we get to covering the DC stuff, expect a call. I certainly will. And I will say that when the podcast gets going, I'm going to make sure to add it to the show notes for this episode so folks can check it out. But in the meantime, I'm going to add the Walters World YouTube channel. And there are so many videos on there that it will keep you busy for a while. If you haven't already subscribed to Walters World, you can go do that and watch a whole lot of videos. 
Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. To see the show notes from today's episode, get additional resources for planning your trip, or to book a Trip Hacks DC guided tour, visit triphacksdc.com.